right, welcome in to uh, Tigers SRD on the Overtime Media Network, powered by SportsRadioDetroit.com. I'm Roger Steele alongside me, Chris Brown, as we sit in on one of the coldest days of the year. There's a winter, a winter advisory out there, so uh, that's going to be actually going to see some winter weather here in the state of Michigan. So if you're outside the state of Michigan and you're enjoying better weather, then kudos to you. So uh, coming up tonight on the podcast, we're going to have Dave Eddy from Prospects1500.com as we talk his list of the top 50 Tiger prospects and his thought process behind it, where he got to it. So uh, we're going to be prospect heavy here in this next uh, couple weeks here, Chris. Yeah, well, I think – the way we're doing it now can make sense. You know, during the season, we kind of had our, our three main segments, uh, and, and one of which was the minor league report. Well, there's not a whole lot of, uh, to report on the minors right now, so might as well have some other people. You know, it's kind of prospect list season. So have them come in there, come in and talk to us about uh, about their lists. Makes sense to me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And there's plenty of lists to go around. And uh, next week's guest, uh, once we get everything confirmed, uh, we'll, be, we'll be talking his list, too. And that was a really good uh, podcast. Uh, thanks to our friend, friend of the show, Mark, for recommending that. So, plenty to get to. And I'm waiting for my prospects books to come in, too. I got mine. I ordered one through the, the one I showed you about the USA Today. And then Baseball America, I pre-ordered mine. It's coming out on February 28th. So, uh, this is the year. And uh, this is to uh, Keon, who a good friend of the show, Keon. Tiger League Tigers, minor league tracker. I will get as good as everybody else out there talking minor league baseball. It's something like a goal for return. resolution. My, my re- resolution is, I mean, everybody knows me like that listens to the podcast, more of a historian, and I can have you, but I'll get there farm-wise. I mean, you have your niche. Mine's the historical aspect and some other yeah. – and I, I know quite a bit about baseball, but I want to get better at the uh, the terms of – You won't of, need me at all anymore. No, no, no. No, dude, you're like uh, – No, it's fine. No, I like it. I like I – like, uh, that we all have kind of, like you said, we all kind of have our niche, but we, we know enough in all the other areas to really, you know, like in our group chat, I, I don't know nearly as much about pitching mechanics as, as Brandon and Mark do or whatever, but I can learn from them and then still offer some other stuff. And then today, I well, we'll get into what I was talking about today. Oh, yeah, definitely. Kind of neat. Yeah, that, that was pretty cool. And there's, yeah, there's a lot to get to. So let's get started with the announcement the Tigers did yesterday, which was, I think some people were caught by surprise. But the reaction on Twitter kind of pissed me off, but I'll get to that in a second. But the uh, Tigers announced that Matt Shepard will be the new Fox Sports Detroit play-by-play choice, joining Dan Petrie and Jack Morris in the booth. It's going to be a three-man booth. And uh, there's, you know, there, there, the narrative out there is that he was the hardest working man out there. And a lot of a lot of the fans were kind of upset about the choice. But my question is, here I have three questions for you. One, when was the last time you really watched a game verbatim, pitch-by-pitch, Nine innings in uh, on a cable network. One, two. Why the hell do you care so much that it's just just he's not a he's not a play by play guy. He's a he's an anchor guy. I mean, the guy's been working in the business for over twenty five years. He's earned it. He's paid his dues. Yada yada. And three, what business is it anybody else's to to report about his? He left his wife's side or something like that. And just the amount of bullshit that he got yesterday in, in terms of some of the fans. The visceral is just—it's mind-boggling. It's—it's it's, it's just a job. Chill the fuck out. Seriously, get a life. Yeah. Well, so uh, you know, I, to to preface it, I've I've never been the biggest Matt Shepard fan in terms of play-by-play, but I only really knowed him, or knowed him, knew him from uh, 
from Michigan basketball games. And I just wasn't a fan of like the catchphrases he was trying to, to, to do with there. But whatever, man. It, uh, but I thought he was fine. He was fine for the Tigers. It, it, it's not like Mario Mpimbo was this great charismatic play-by-play guy. And his, his you know, every, people learn to like who they spend time with every night. And I'm sure people will, will feel that way about Matt Shepard, too. Um, yeah, the, the thing about, you know, his wife got in a horrible car accident, I think. Yeah, that's and, correct, and, yeah. But I don't think, like, you know, it was bad, but I, I don't think it's like a life-and-death situation. I don't think he was leaving her side with, you know, risking that she could die. I'm, I'm sure that she's not great, but I'm also sure that taking a job like this is going to make it much more comfortable for them and, and easier for them to deal with whatever, you know, physical therapy or occupational therapy or whatever she has to do to get better. Um, and, it, you know, find find somebody who would turn down this job. Yeah, exactly. That's and that's that's my that's my thing. I think the Tigers learn from the Rick. I mean, we all know about the Bob Rathern and Rick Riz days that didn't work. And I mean, then again, that's under different. And I, I brought that up on Twitter last night, and probably maybe three people got that reference. But um, and that's fine. But I mean, the reason why I bring that up is because they were from out of town. They were from a different market, and it was just on the heels of Ernie Harwell suddenly getting fired by Bo. Bo, Bo was it Bo Schemlacher that fired him? Yep, Bo Schembechler. Yeah, yeah, which is something people tend to forget about Bo. But anyways, I digress. And the out of town thing didn't work. I mean, Josh Lovin, you knew full well that you know, once he did a couple years here. I mean, he he won the Detroit Broadcasters Award, and then he's now I think he's doing yeah he's doing UCLA basketball and Padres bat or Padres baseball. So he found his dream job. But Matt Shepard is serviceable. He's fine. I don't really in Michigan. I mean, Terry Mills drives me nuts sometimes during the Michigan games, but because. <laughs> He he falls all over his words, but then you could say the same about myself. But it's actually you know what Terry Mills is okay, right? I mean, like he's, I you know, I I'm, honestly I, I don't listen to them on the radio that much, but mm-hmm. you know, the, there's always that element of the former player, and a lot of times they don't add much at all. Right. Um, I don't know. I, I, you know, I don't have a ton of <laughs> opinions on, on Terry Mills, but I was kind of so. I, the Dan Petrie thing, I thought he was just going to be in studio, but he's going to be kind of roving around like Craig Monroe, or is he going to be in the booth? I think he's going to be in the booth. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's going, be a, yeah, it's going to be a three-man booth with that, with um, with him and Gibson. I mean, I think he's going to be, he's going to be doing more. I know that, and I'm, yeah. and I, I like I love Dan Petrie. Actually, Dan Petrie is has always like he says enough. He knows his stuff. He doesn't do that back in my day kind of thing, which you know you you're gonna expect. From yeah, Jack you get Morris. a lot of that from. I think, well, we're gonna get some of that from Jack Morris. Oh I think. yeah. Um, no, and I, there are a lot of people who don't like Kirk Gibson because he's so uh, dry. But I always really enjoyed the sort of uh, the aspect of the, the games that he brought, which was he, he would be you know predicting when guys would steal and talking about the pop times and all this stuff, and he would break out basically run expectancies and these things that, that nerdy people like me like, but I'm not so sure the, the average fan liked. So yeah, Dan Petrie, you know, he's called Peaches because he's a, well, his name is sort of like that, but he's also just seems like like one of those sweet guys. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't mind it in whatever. I, I, I mean, the team's not going to be very good. I don't know who they expected or who people expected them to get as announcers. Like they weren't going to bring John Madden out of retirement or something strange like that. So, John Madden's still alive, right? Yes, yes, he is. Okay, right. just, <laughs> you don't that, ever see him anymore. No, you know, you're right. It's Pat Summerall who's not. There Same go. with Frank Caliendo. Whatever happened to him? Frank Caliendo. 
That's a good question. No, um, not Frank Catalanato. Frank Caliendo, the computer. Yeah, he's yeah, he's. I think he's doing a gig in Vegas right now. Like he's got a house gig yeah. in Vegas. Pretty sure. Oh well, that's, oh, that's a good one. You know, you know, those dropped off too is um, Will Lasso. I mean, I haven't seen Will Lasso a lot recently. I was thinking of fat comedians on Mad TV for some strange reason. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, Matt Matt Shepard's fine. And again, I don't I don't listen to his, I used to listen to his radio show quite a bit. He does get his radio show is what whatever it is, it's it's it is what it is and it's you know, it's okay and it and the, there was one cake that really pissed me off was well, he's taking all the jobs that no one wants. He has Eastern Michigan blah blah blah. It's like, well, then who else did it then? Who else is going to do it? If no one if if no one else, if someone else is qualified, somebody would have had it. The thing that I don't, uh, yeah, I, mean, I think, I think there are a lot of people who want a, a TV play-by-play gig for the Tigers. That's kind of absurd. Yeah, that's a dream job for anybody, and, he, and he's worked in baseball before, and he's he's worked as you know, I mean, and the the, the, the story is narrated about the hard work of man. Why the hell do you care that much to get that upset about it? It is what it is, and just that's what it, it like. He's just you know, it's. I, I wanted Dan Dickerson to go on the TV and then put Dan Hasty and then somebody some jackass commented like Dan Hasty or Dan Dickerson's too good for TV. What the hell does that even mean? Like I, some <laughs> well, of the... I mean there are, you know, there are people who prefer listening to baseball on, on on the radio. You have the picture painted to them. It's a different it's a different thing to do it on TV and do it on radio. I get it, but yeah, I don't know. There, announcers. Unless you just suck, like the, or have a terrible voice, like the Bowie Baysox guy, our favorite <laughs> Snagglepuss, um, in strike three, um, you know, it, announcers are a lot like like Hall of Fame debates. I don't really give a shit. Like it's it's something interesting, but people can just complain, complain, and, and nobody has the same taste. Nobody hears things the same either. Like what did we learn from that stupid Laurel? Uh, Yanni and Laurel thing. Oh God, I forgot about that. People, people, you know, people hear things differently. That's why some people can sing and some people can, you know, some people like different songs. So it's just, it's just a bunch of noise. Uh, yeah. If you go out there and you do the job, you're not fumbling over your words and, and you describe the action. It's gonna be fine. Exactly. And I, I think that sometimes to Tiger fans who are just already just souring on this team, that seems gonna suck. It's like. You put up with the lines, and yet you don't bitch about that. I, anyways, I. Well, I mean, yeah, there. Yeah, whatever. Let's, uh, there's probably a significant crossover there, but there's probably a lot of people also don't care about the lines at all. Yeah, and that's uh, that would be me. So, uh, <laughs> moving on to let's go into inside the numbers a little bit. A couple, I had a couple of uh, different ones to kind of go with with in terms of just in ter- there's there's a Deadspin article we'll get to about. Uh, Baseball salaries in a little bit too. It's it, it. We're not gonna go into it too much because it's a deeper dive kind of situation. But the, the, the worth checking out. And I'll probably put a link. Excuse me on our description. Uh, once I post the show, so look for that description. That it's been an article we're gonna talk about. But what I wanted to highlight inside the numbers was a couple things. First and foremost, um, it was a really good story on being Baseball America about teams not preferring the trade. Versus signing free agents, which kind of ties into that Deadspin article, anyways. Um, but uh, a couple of numbers to give you to a total of 38 player for player trades have been completed since the end of the World Series. 29 of those 38, 76%, 76% is the number we're looking at, involve primary prospects going one way and uh, big leaguers from the other. So that's a big mark. So last year, 
um, through the same date. It was 19 prospects for veteran trades. And the 2016-2017 offseason, there was 15. So, um, it, you know, they they mentioned some of the trades, and most notably, which what, this is one I kind of forgot about, too, was the the Tanner Roke getting uh, the Reds getting him announced. Uh, or Tanner Roke was the one that Yeah, that was the, the Tanner for Tanner, wasn't it? Yeah. And a uh, different Tanner ended up going to uh, the Nats. The 70s trade. You know, this is the, it sounds like a 70s sitcom, Tanner yeah. for Tanner. Um but yeah, I thought that was interesting, Chris, because we've talked about before and nauseam about the, the season kind of being in this the off season kind of come to a crawl. But uh, really, another number of stands out to is thirty percent, which is uh, free agents have signed or agreed to contracts. And uh, another number that stands out to is seventy three of those eighty two received two two years or fewer. So, yeah, I mean, this is there's just more and more. More and more articles and more and more evidence that this, things are going to get ugly, or the players kind of have to make things get ugly. Yeah. Or else, uh, I mean, it's going to only get worse. And then the other one I wanted to get to, and we've we've talked about this uh, ongoing. We've been looking at the situation go, going on in Los Angeles with the Angels, as we've been my out of the box in, or irresponsible speculation prediction about the Angels moving out of L.A. Into a like I'm still gonna stick with it because it now it, it might have some evidence to it. Uh, for now, it doesn't. But the there's been they talked about the in October. We yeah, it was one of our last podcasts. We talked about uh, before the uh, 2018 season about the Angels opting out of their stadium lease with Anaheim, um, which meant that they would have to vacate the, the uh, venue by the end of 2019. However, uh, for now they. The Angel, Angels in the city of Anaheim expected to agree to a one-year extension that will keep them through the, the season through 2020. So um, it gives them a little bit of breathing room, what have you. Um, the catch is now the city's willing to discuss the concept of a new ballpark. The city's not willing at all to finance such a new venture, um, which is something like they want to do similar to what the, the Ducks are doing with uh, Honda, the Honda Center. So, and what's that would be something along the lines of, uh, which I think it's. Uh, oh, here is here's the here's the information. By the way, you can find the autograph of, uh, of the information at Fangraphs. Uh, essentially, that the city of Anaheim would call for the to sell three Honda parking lots plus a, a, a lot across the street at fair market value to Air uh, Anaheim Marina Management. So that would give them a kind of a, like a little financial windfall a little bit. So. Um, but the Angels consider this whole thing the quote toxic atmosphere to local businesses into a private public ship. So, um, and they still not they're still not going to upgrade the facility either. Mm. So, and at worst, the Ducks deal did cut into what the Angels wanted, which is part of like a mixed use complex. So, either or, um, it looks like the Angels might have one foot out the door at this point. But um, Portland or Vegas. But right now, my my bet's still in Vegas. Good place to. That the Angels would put move. bets. So, we'll see. Yeah. I mean, I don't, Portland's I don't Portland's lining themselves up well too. So we'll see what happens. But yeah, I, I thought isn't Russell Wilson trying to to get a team there? Yep, part of a group trying to get a team there. So well, it'd be interesting. I, I think there have been like two AAA teams that failed in Portland, but that was a different era. Yeah, the the Beavers so. and the Mavericks, right? Oh, I, man, you the, got me. Yeah, that the, sounds about right. 
the Mavericks were the the team owned by was it Portland was it Portland Mavericks that I think that was the team that uh, Bill Russell's uh, his dad owned Bing Russell. I'll double check that. But uh, went uh, and his uh, rival Google Russell. Yeah, Bing Russell. Yeah. I think it was I think it was Portland. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Okay. Well, so, uh, my inside the number. If you're you're finished with yours. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Mine. Mine is four sixty. Four sixty. Four sixty. Um. And this is something that that I kind of stumbled across in the last couple of weeks, and so apologies if other people already knew about this stuff. But uh, I, I came across just from listening to podcasts. The, these guys were talking. It's like fantasy based podcast, but they were talking about minor league batted ball data, and and there was this guy named Smata who had apparently developed a a way to estimate batted ball distance in the minor leagues. And so it was just something a couple of weeks ago. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And so I was looking into it, and it was just really great. You can go – it's now at Prospects Live. Uh, you can go and look at a player's batted ball and, and, and check to see their average fly ball distance and look at their spray charts and stuff. And I was kind of curious. I'm like, how do they know this? And then I got the answer today, I think, from a, a really great article at Fangrass. It was from, from their community section by a guy named uh, Jeff Quattrociochi, I believe is his name. Uh, and he basically explained how he was able to estimate minor league batted ball distance using a couple of coordinates that, that Major League Baseball actually, from like the minor league prospect part, part of StatCast, puts in there. And you can go and, and, and look at that and, and find spray charts and stuff like that. So I was like, well, man, this is, this is sweet. You can start to take a look at uh, which prospects uh, are hitting the ball hard, which is always fun. And again, I can't take credit for this because I, I heard the the guys talking fantasy, the fantasy guys mentioned this, but uh, but Parker Meadows, you know, the Tigers' second round draft pick last year, gave him a bunch of money. Um, he hit four home runs as a pro last year, you know, in in the Gulf Coast League, and two of them were more than 460 feet, which is those are just absolute bombs. And uh, so I was looking it up, and 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 there were about 5,600 home runs in the majors last year. Mm-hmm. And about 40 of them went 460 feet. So we're talking about 0.7% overall. Now, being able to hit a ball that far doesn't necessarily mean anything. And I'm sure that Stephen Moya hit some balls that far. The great Mac Williamson hit a 460-foot four or 464-foot homer last year. But uh, but that's a skill being able to hit a ball that far and that hard. So if this stuff is true, then that's a really really interesting tool that 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 uh parker meadows has it, it, not to mention the fact that he's a 65 grade runner and might be able to play center field so it just it makes me kind of more excited to see what he can do i mean the big question about him is his hit tool and uh yeah i mean that I, that always scares me when a guy there are questions about a guy's hit tool and you know parker meadows is like six five so there's always going to be a big strike zone there but man if he hits with that kind of raw power and that kind of speed, I mean, he's uh, you can make it a pretty easy case that he's got the highest ceiling of anybody in the Tiger system. So, I don't know. I just thought it was kind of interesting to, to, to see numbers like that. Peter Alonzo uh, hit, you know, I think he led the minors in home runs last year, and his longest was 455. So, two, two at 460, that's nuts. No, yeah, that's uh, 455, too. I mean, it's just, it's almost like a... Especially in the golf... Wait, what are they playing in the golf... They're playing in the backfields of Lakeland, right? 
I believe so. Yeah, I, I don't know if they actually ever play at Joker Marchant, uh, but yeah, I think it's the, the backfield. So it, again, it, it, I'm a little bit skeptical of the minor league padded ball data, but if it's true, then yeah, man, get excited about Parker Meadows if you are already weren't. Yeah, I and I there's there's a couple of things we'll get, we'll get to. I'm sure we talk the prospects at the bottom of the or at the second segment, but just that is good for the Tigers, especially in the sense that the if you look at the outfield power right now in the cross system, outside of Robinson, I mean it's been scarce lately, Chris. I mean look, there's some there are some numbers that indicate last year. You look at outside of Erie, every other I mean Lakeland was down on home runs. You didn't see a lot of power out of Lakeland. Definitely nothing out of Connecticut that you can write home about. And West Michigan last year had some struggles with power too. Yeah, well that was one of the other things I looked up. You know, Ken- Kingston Lineak was the other uh, high school outfielder they, they grabbed last year. And he's not nearly as, as big or uh, as physical, I guess, as, as you would say Meadows is. And I was looking at his batted ball. He, I don't think he hit a single ball more than 340 feet, except for one home run he hit in in Connecticut, of all places. That was 420 feet. I was like, what What in the hell? Wow. Like, Yeah, I mean, it's... Again, there's there's uh, there's a margin for error in here. When I was looking at Peter Alonso, he had a 535 foot ground out. So there's something something is wrong there. But but uh, yeah, it's just kind of interesting to see that. But that is actually uh, if we go roll into the good, bad, and ugly. I had something along those lines uh, for for my bad. Yeah, let's we, let's keep it rolling. Well, my good. I'll just do my good real quick because there's not much to it. But. Uh, it's back to fan graphs. Jeff uh, Sullivan, who you know, I think is one of the very best baseball writers out there. Um, he wrote a really fun article comparing DJ LeMahieu to Derek Jeter, and and like, I love a good comp. You know, serious baseball people aren't supposed to really be into comps, but uh, man, just from the the you know the kind of slap hitter opposite field approach, uh, it's just a it's kind of a striking similarity, which is. Uh, you know, it doesn't fit the narrative, but it was. I, I thought it was interesting. I think people should go read it. It's probably it should probably still be there. It was. I think he posted it yesterday. Uh, but my bad is the state of the power bats in the Tiger system. Despite what I just said about Parker Meadows, uh, you know, I'm in, in the middle of doing the Tigers Tools series over at Tigerstown, which is basically we just try to, uh, you know, go tool by tool and skill by skill and look at the best players in the Tiger system. And I, I just we just posted the the power of this. Uh, best power bats today and power is obviously it's a huge part of the game right now there's basically not a position where you're allowed to not hit for power anymore like there you can you can get by with certain players who don't hit for power but just about every position the average player is hitting 15 to 17 homers now and the tigers just don't have much power in their system you know kristen stewart is is probably going to be able to hit 20 25 home runs at the major league level but beyond that it's all question marks Jake Rogers certainly has the power to do it, but is he going to hit enough? It's kind of it's pretty iffy. Ray Rivera has huge raw power, but didn't even hit double-digit home runs in West Michigan last year because his hit tool is just all jacked up right now. You know, we talked to Lance Parrish that one time, and he said, you know, if he doesn't adjust, he's not going to make it to Double A. Uh, and then after that, you got like Isaac Paredes, who will probably, you know, I, I think we can suggest he might hit 20 home runs a year, but it's not. I don't think he's going to be like a Jose Ramirez suddenly hit 35 homers. Yeah, you, know, you never know these days, but 
and then and then I don't know. Is it you know, Daz Cameron might eventually grow into some power? Cody Clemens, if he makes it to the majors, could hit for some power. But there's really nothing else to write home about, and, and it's just kind of weird. You worry, and we've we've seen from the Tigers that they're not uh, they're not terribly keen on the launch angle phenomenon, or uh, you know it, it seems like they're building their team for speed and defense and slap hitting. So there might not be a whole lot of uh, long balls to go around, which maybe Tigers fans got used to because they hit the third fewest home runs last year ahead of only the Giants and the Marlins. Uh, yeah, and my ugly, this is really fucking ugly. Uh, John Wetland, excuse my language, but John Wetland was arrested today for child sexual abuse. If you remember John Wetland, I remember him mostly as the closer before Mariano Rivera. I think he was the closer on that first Yankees team in the 90s, the first Yankees championship team, 96. And I don't remember if he then went to the Rangers or... I I think he went to the Rangers shortly after that. I mean, everybody, he was also part of that great uh, Expos team in 94. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this is just a brutal story. Arrested for, I think, repeated sexual abuse of a child under 14. It just, it doesn't get worse than that. And he's, you know, it's one of those things where he's a... I think he's a coach, and he's like a Sunday school teacher, and it's just, whenever I see something like this, I just, my conclusion is men shouldn't be allowed to be around children or women. Yeah. Basically, that's it. Like, any time, and it's not the, not the, not the industry's fault, but any time there's an industry where, where people are going to have a chance to be around, around a bunch of young children and not raise suspicion, so teachers, coaches, um, churches, you're always going to find really sick people. Um, Especially, and I don't, you know, it, I don't know. It's it's just it's really heartbreaking. It is, and, and you know what? The, the thing is too that the, 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 some of the stories behind it too. Like I didn't know he got, I didn't know he was a pitching coach under Frank Robinson, but then how he got fired and just like playing the pranks that he wouldn't stop playing pranks in the bullpen. I mean, that's just such a strange. Thing like you have yeah. this legend telling you, "Hey, don't do that," and you still do it, and you don't. You wonder why you got fired. And then he had a job with the Mariners. Same thing. There, like all this stuff was kind of strange circumstances. Yeah, and, and I wonder the nature of those pranks. You know, if they were, and we know a lot of hazing and stuff like that tends to delve into some serious homoerotic behavior. Yeah, uh, and I don't mean to conflate, conflate, you know, homosexual or homoeroticism with with child abuse at all i'm just saying like like maybe those pranks were just inappropriate touching um yeah and and yeah i mean you read about it and there was a suicide attempt apparently when in like 2009 or 2011 or something like that and so i i don't know it's just like i said it's heartbreaking and and i feel for the the, the victims yeah and i hope i hope uh justice is served I, one way or the other yeah and it should be and it's just it's ridiculous so, uh, on a brighter note... Sorry to take you down. Now, now back to the good. <laughs> well, Chris, it's uh, prospect-related, and, and some good things to mention were worth the Tigers mentioned. So, um, a couple, some Tigers made the top some list on Baseball America. So, in the last week or so, uh, five MLB prospects who can move quickly in 2019. One of them is one being Casey Mize. And so, Casey Mize was on the top five list. Your friend, uh, Alex... Uh, Kurloff was number one on there, um, which really would that, there was actually three AL Central with May, Mize and also Nick uh, Marigel, who by the way is kind of proving you right. 
uh, so far. He's been just um, keeps continuing to hit, and so um, it, it makes up for a really interesting infield right now. Um, you can see him possibly push for Tim Anderson's job at this point or uh, Sanchez, depending on what, what which way the White Sox want to go. But there's one name on there too that that really struck out to me was uh, Wander Franco, um, who I didn't really know much about, so I did some research on him. Chris, this kid is seventeen. Yeah, well, you gotta you gotta be careful because there are three Wander Francos, and I believe they're all brothers. But the Wander Franco that you're talking about, yes, is the seventeen-year-old uh, shortstop for the Rays, switch hitter. Yeah, his numbers in the Appalachian League were better than Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s at the same level, at the same age. And Franco is a better athlete at a more premium position. Um, he's a top five prospect in baseball at the age of seventeen. That's amazing. He's uh, he's a monster. Again, no, you know anything can happen, but uh, yeah. And the Rays, if you're, if you're in a fantasy league, go ahead and get him. Yeah, yeah, make him part of your like, make him the cornerstone of my league. <laughs> make him a cornerstone of your franchise. But good grief, um, yeah. learning more about that and just the way that the, whoever the Rays are scouting. Come on, you know, geez, oh, Pete's. Um, and Anthony Finnick, by the way, wrote a piece for Baseball America um, about Danny Woodrow and Woodrow, Chris. I mean, I know that like. They, we, he wrote about him putting on some more weight in the Ospies and David Littlefield giving him the marching orders. Um, it, it, I don't, know, Chris. He's, he seems like he falls in that weird where you're not sure, um, you know, where to put him and everything. But uh, it, it's interesting to me that he, you know, where is he going to stay? Like I mean, he, he, you know, three seventy one in the Arizona Fall League is no, no, no you know, no slouch or anything, and. Yeah, the three you talk about power in the system. He only had three home runs last year, but his slash line three seven three three seventy one and three ninety seven. And at some point, you know, what the Tigers? I mean, are they going to just throw him out there and see what happens? I mean, is he just going to be a career minor leaguer? We'll see. Well, you know, I, I kind of thought he was going to be a career minor leaguer uh, heading into last year. He was kind of I, I I just kind of threw him into the same boat as Jake Robson because they were both from the same draft. They're both kind of center field guys with, with speed slap hitters and then they had really interesting seasons uh, for different you know different ways robson hit for more power although that might be mirage we'll see and woodrow just kept hitting kept getting hits he almost won the the eastern league batting title and then like you said he went to arizona fall league and, and hit 371 um it's an empty 371 it's the sort of thing that we've been you know, in the modern stat-based view it's kind of a pointless poor man's Juan Pierre kind of uh, <laughs> kind of profile, but he, you know, I, I don't picture him adding much weight. When we saw him at West Michigan, I'm sure I've mentioned this before. I thought I literally thought he was the Bat Boy. He looked like he was about 13. Yeah, no, I remember. Yeah, I remember. Um, I remember that because we were pretty close too, and I, I was blown away that was him. Yeah, because I, I was. This was what two years ago. Yeah, and I was curious about Jake Robson. And I wanted to see him like, well, I hope that's not Jake Robson because I don't think there's ever power there. Uh, and, and I feel the same way about Woodrow. It's, he might be able to get, get by as a guy who can, who can play center field defense and steal you some bases and get on base with his bat. But I don't know. I don't think there's necessarily a role for that guy anymore. Uh, as I mentioned before, basically every position is expected to hit for power now. So, yeah. Yeah, you never know though. I got a guy like this. If he keeps hitting, you know, if he comes out and hits 360 in AAA next year, or goes back to Erie and does that, then 
you know, eventually give them a chance. But I don't know. We, we've seen players sort of like that before, like Josh Anderson, uh, Quentin Berry types who, who get up and, you know, slap the ball around and can, and can run. They might get hot for a month or two, but pitchers don't really uh, get scared and they'll challenge those guys and eat them up. So. Yeah, I mean, it is worth mentioning, too. It's just because what are the, the Tigers have a lot of these guys kind of that profile, you know, the slap hitter, fourth mm-hmm. outfielder type. He fits that. So, But it's still, either way, I mean, it was cool to see him on the list. And then the other last, in terms of uh, being mentioned like that, but Brock Depperidge was on Baseball America's 10 late-rounder sleeper prospects to watch in 2019, which essentially um, players stretched from the 10th round on who signed for less than $300,000. So, uh, but you know, we'll get to more about De- Deathridge, but still pretty cool. That's some good, the bad, uh, well, the, the, the bad really right now is, it, I was going with the John Wetland stuff, but I mean, that's, that's because that's just a deplorable kind of thing. Um, currently right now, but, uh, really it's been the, I, I say bad right now is the, the, the amount of free agents are left in this market in terms of relievers, Chris, and, and the Tigers have not made a play in any of them. And I, I, I know that, like, in our chat, we, we talked about the, the left-handers and what have you, and I, I, I was talking about, um, you know, um, I was saying, you know, Brandon was talking about how many lefties we have right now, and I, I mentioned Tony Sipp, but Daniel Schumpf, I'm sorry, I don't know if he's going to be the answer, but there's so many of these relievers, and that, like, to me is alarming that, you want to build you 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 think the bullpen is the back of your your rotation. It's the heart of your pitching staff, and now there's some really good names out there. I mean, Cody Reed's still out there. Um, Adam is it? Is it Adavino. Adavino is the guy there. I'd like to see. I mean, it, it's yeah. kind of scary, but he was one of the best relievers in baseball last year. Yeah, he hasn't been signed yet. That's kind of alarming. Uh, Craig Kimball, which I don't want to be any part of at all. I mean, Andrew Miller was signed last month. But I, I just – that is to me is a bad trend that the, none of these relievers are signed and here we are in the middle of January. And the ugly really is – and this is non-Tiger related, non-baseball related, but basically uh, John Engler saying that Larry Nesser's vac- victims are having a blast in the spotlight. And that's a piece of shit comment by a piece of shit. Sorry. I'm actually I'm not sorry at all, but just – that's ridiculous. There's Yeah, there's no justification saying something like, like that. I, I... Yeah. That's like beyond victim blaming. It's like vent- victim taunting, like suggesting that the people who were sexually assaulted are somehow having a great time now. Yeah. Because of this, because of that, like it's just like you said, it's just vile. I mean, this... that dude needs to get the hell out of MSU. Like you know, I, I don't have any vested stake in MSU other than being in the state of Michigan, and I want that dude gone. Yeah, and you know what? And this is and the Metro Times pointed out too that they highlighted that when he was the governor, he fought hard against the lawsuit brought to you by dozens of female inmates who had been raped by state correction officers. And at that time, it was considered the largest... It was the largest payout in state history. And this Yeah, guy, no, he's a... Yeah, he's a real piece of shit. Yeah, which is why he probably wore a bulletproof vest everywhere because he knows how much of a piece of shit he is. So, uh, all right, that's it. That's it. That's in terms of, like, outside of the political realm. That's as political... Well, I guess as political as we can get, but... Uh, it's, yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter what political party he is from. Uh, yeah. You know, somebody who acts like that and says stuff like that is a piece of shit. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but yeah, there, yeah, that was that was basically it for that. So, uh, coming up after the break, we're talking to David Eddy, who writes for Prospects1500.com. We should talk to his list of Tiger prospects. 
and more. We'll go into we'll get we got a Twitter question to answer. We have a, a very thorough answer from Chris on the Twitter question <laughs> for tonight. So I'm looking forward to hearing that as well. You're listening to Tigers SRD on the Overtime Media Network, powered by Sports Radio Detroit. We'll be back after the break. Two one. All right, welcome back to Tigers SRD here on the Overtime Media Network, powered by SportsRadioDetroit.com. I'm joined now by David Eddy. You can find him at Corporal Eddy, who writes for Prospects 1500, or at Corporal Eddy on Twitter, who writes for Prospects1500.com. As we talk, his list of the top 50 Tiger prospects. And this is his first podcast ever. So, uh, Dave, welcome. How you doing? How you doing? Pretty good, guys. Thanks for having me. All right. So, uh, so Chris, before uh, before we or before we break anything else, Chris, do you want or go ahead, Chris, and uh, ask him the. Well, oh, yeah, we, we stand. You know, I read your your bio there on Prospects fifteen hundred, which is kind of ties in with with the standard question we ask whenever we have a new guest on is is about your earliest baseball memory, the the thing that got you into baseball. Well, I mean, uh, my my grandpa used to own a um, a tour company uh, when I was a kid growing up, and he was he was big into he was big into sports. So we would go and we'd see a lot of Lions games and. We'd especially see a lot of Tigers games um, in the summers. And so we usually went to, I don't know, probably about 10, maybe 15 games every summer. And uh, before I was too young to know exactly what was going on, um, Tigers were were playing the Yankees. And uh, my grandpa actually worked as an usher uh, at Tiger Stadium back, you know, when he was younger. And so he still had a few ties with some of the you know older guys that work there and so we'd always get pretty good seats and there was one particular game where we were literally i was literally in the seat directly next to um the visiting dugout um very very front row very close to seat to the dugout and they were playing the yankees and i don't know it was one of the innings early on in the game and last out was made at first base um to don mattingly and Don Mattingly was coming back to the dugout, and I was probably maybe four or five years old. And as he was running to the dugout, he was kind of running, you know, right directly in my direction. And I just kind of threw my hand up to just wave to him, uh, just innocently. And he happened to he threw me the ball, and so I I caught the ball. Um, after he got back to the dugout, you know, he had told me that if he breaks a bat or anything during the game that he would give it to me and, you know, he'd sign it for me after the game and whatnot. So sure enough, uh, I think it was the last at bat. It was probably seventh, eighth inning, uh, last at bat of, of the game for him. As it turns out, he broke his bat and walked it back over to the dugout, handed it to me. Um, and I don't have the bat any longer, um, but I, I oh, no. had it for a long time. Um, and so that's my probably my first that I can think of. Um, memory and also my favorite. Yeah, I would think that would stick with you pretty well. <laughs> yeah, I just <laughs> one of the best players in baseball at the time. I assume this is you were talking late eighties. Um, it would yeah, it would have been late later in the eighties. Yeah, yeah. I mean, wow, one of the best players in baseball gives you a ball and then his bat. Yeah, and it. I was yeah, I was young enough at the time. I really didn't quite understand what was going on. Um, yeah, it probably like, honestly, it probably didn't matter that he was one of the best players in baseball. It could have been uh, Darnell Coles. Yeah, I mean, it <laughs> didn't even matter that he was a Yankee. You know, it just it was the fact of what happened. So that yeah, was pretty cool. Yeah, and what, what, cool. Yeah, what about Nelson Simmons' blaster, Chris? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh, you know, that's one of the, the the 
beautiful things about baseball. You know, when the kids don't particularly care, they just are kind of enamored of the the atmosphere and, and what's going on. So very cool. I uh, and, and you also mentioned in your in your bio how you kind of got into writing about baseball. But if you want to share with people, I think that's kind of interesting because it's similar to the way I got into it. Well, uh, I mean, for me, um, it really just it really just started with, you know, I've always had a love um, for the game of baseball. Um, and over the years, I've gotten more and more into, you know, fantasy leagues and stuff. And eventually it led me to, to dynasty leagues. Um, when I first started my first dynasty league about, oh, it's probably about eight years ago now. Um, prospects were, were not something that, that I was in on at all, you know? Um, but as time went on, I, you know, started to get more and more into them just because I had to. Um, and then here within the last couple of years, I, I don't know what it is exactly, um, about it, but something just led me to being very interested in it. Um, and what led me specifically to the prospects 1500 is, um, you know, I, I, I was, kind of debating on, you know, starting something up on my own or, you know, getting into something along those lines. And I just don't have the time um, to do that. Um, and I wanted to do something that was more in depth than, than what you typically see. You know, I don't want to do a, you know, top 10 or top 20 list, you know, um, I, I like to find out about and, you know, get a hold of, you know, the next big thing before it's even a small thing. Um, and so the top 50 list, you know, that the, prospects 1500 put out uh was something that i found really interesting because those are the kind of guys you know at the bottom of those lists that you know the normal person has never even heard of and, and may never hear about but for me looking up some obscure players it's really hard sometimes to to get more than a sentence in a box score or something you know an article about a game so um that that really interests me to get into something so in depth yeah you you talk about the uh is Chris and I know that James is James Chipman who said Chris said uh, it's more than just look at more than the box score. Well, yeah, I mean a lot of a lot of people, you know, it, there's 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 stats in the minors that tell you something, and there's stats in the minors that tell you nothing, and it's kind of kind of hard to <laughs> to differentiate without uh, the the back the scouting backup. Yeah, and, yeah, and there's. And that that whole process of, of scouting and what have you, and and getting into rankings, what have you. So, let's start with that. Let's start. How do you come up with your process? What was your process behind some of the rankings, behind this, Dave? Where you're ranking? Here, here we are right now with the Tigers, kind of in the middle of probably in terms of drafting. Their drafting philosophy has changed. Their their way they're signing international talent is is different than it has been in the last, you know, in the the prior decade. So. When coming up with this list, how did you go about the rankings? In in terms of they have you have the four tier system, which I th- which is really cool and makes it easy for anybody who comes to your website. How it works, or excuse me, five tiers. I'm sorry, five tiers, and it makes it easy to rank and, and kind of like how people would move up a tier. So go ahead and, and how'd you come up with this list? Well, so uh, lists are difficult like this, um, especially when you're going fifty deep. Um, I think if you're doing you know a, a top ten list, is pretty easy because you know, you've probably already roughly got that in your head. Um, but when you start going like 50 deep, it, it gets to be a little more difficult. Um, so for me personally, I even if it's because of my, my background with, you know, doing dynasty leagues, um, mine is is much more fantasy 
um, related than, than real life related. So, um, I mean, probably a perfect example of that is, and I'm probably sure we'll get into this in a bit is, you know, how I have Jake Rogers listed. Um, you know, a lot of people would look at my ranking of him and, you know, kind of frown at it, but fantasy wise, it, it makes more sense. But, um, so for me, for my list, um, it was really just, you know, kind of a little bit of, a little bit of research, um, as far as, um, you know, other people that I respect, um, their thoughts and their feelings, um, combined obviously with my own thoughts and feelings. And I put together a preliminary list of any guy that I, I would consider. Um, so I had about 70 names or so. And as I was going through and, you know, doing the extra research, you know, on all the guys, you know, I would move a guy, I move a guy up a few spots, move a guy down a few spots. And I went through the list doing that a couple different times until I felt relatively comfortable with where everyone was. Um, and then as I go through to write the, um, the little, you know, the bio, the little write up about each guy, I did a little maneuvering around there as well. Um, but I think the biggest, the biggest thing with my list, maybe compared to others that you'll see is it's got a, a fantasy twist to it. So, you know, that that's going to maneuver guys a little bit differently than maybe other lists that you would see. That's how you can get a gap of 10, 15, 20 spots, maybe between me and somebody else. Yeah, that's interesting because it, it, the tiger system is, is, you know, it's pitching heavy at the top and pitching in my experience in fantasy is not always, um, you know, the most reliable or the most, uh, you know, sought after. I mean, it, people still go after top ranked pitching prospects, but, uh, boy, you know, you, you get, you wait a couple of years for Alex Reyes or whatever, and then he misses two seasons with injuries and, you know, just, they, they fall apart all the time. So it, it's, it's gotta be kind of tough juggling that aspect of, of fantasy rankings with the, the makeup of the tiger system. Yeah. I mean, my, my theory in that regard is that it's always tough with a pitcher, especially to, to put too much stock into them when they are, you know, two years out, um, from potentially being in the majors just because, you know, so many injuries happen nowadays that, you know, it, it's really tough for someone like, uh, you know, uh, Franklin Perez is a good example who, who's been hurt here recently. Um, you know, he, he would have been number one on my list, um, ahead of Matt Manning actually, um, if he would have been healthy and, you know, barring Casey Mize, but again, he gets hurt and, you know, he falls down a lot of people's lists. You know, you don't usually, you know, you don't see that so much with, with the hitters. So yeah, pitchers are really, really volatile as far as, you know, not just in fantasy, but in, in real life too. Yeah, and so you mentioned Jake Rogers. You have him ranked 16th, which, Correct. Uh, you, you know, I, I think that's probably totally defensible. Uh, like you said, it's a fantasy thing. Uh, fantasy catchers as a whole are just kind of a black hole, it seems like. You know, I know people who just don't have them. They just won't roster a catcher, which is daring. <laughs> but uh, the, the, the one that I was a little bit curious about, because it doesn't match up with a lot of the scouting reports that have come out in the last year, is Alex Fido at, at 5th. Was there something there that, that really uh, attracted you to him uh, in a baseball way? Well, I mean, you know, he definitely had headed down 2018. Um, and, yeah, I don't know of many people that have remained, you know, super high on him. Um, I, I haven't had the chance to, to watch him live. Um, mm -hmm. I've seen lots of, lots of video. Um, I've obviously read a lot about him. For me, I really think that, he got 
super taxed um, in college. Um, and, and I really think that I really think that, you know, he, he's making adjustments to going from, you know, the college ball to, to the minor to the minor leagues. And I, I really just maybe this is a lot of just hope on my end as a Tigers fan. Um, but I really think that his downfall last year had a lot to do with just trying to make those adjustments and, and get a feel for trying to become a major league pitcher as opposed to the dominator, uh, you know, the dominating kind of pitcher he was in college. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, do you want? I wanted to follow up with you on too. Is it, it, Chris and I'd love to hear your feedback too on this, only because I haven't heard too much about him as of yet. And that's uh, Esni uh, Chacon, the uh, outfielder out of Venezuela, uh, who's you got him ranked over above uh, Jose Alcantar or Alzacar. Um, and I'm just kind of curious on, in terms of that. And Chris. Whatever you can fill in on this, I mean, in terms of seventy speed and, but what what do you guys know about him in terms of where like just he has any more intel out there about him? Well, I can say you know I mentioned we were doing the Tikes Tool series right now. I'm actually on on the speed, the best speed in the system, and what we know about him is he actually is just a plus runner. Not to not to say that like you know that's slow. But he apparently is just, you know, he's got good instincts to steal bases, and he's not afraid to try. And uh, the catchers in the DSL aren't all that great. But he did, I think, what, he had 50-plus steals this year? Yeah. He had uh, 58. Um, he had 58, yep, in the Dominican yeah, Which I th- I want to say was third in the DSL. I don't know, Dave, if you, you know that off the top of your head. but No, the 58 steals was correct. I don't know where it ranked in the league. Uh, um, I assume it's pretty high. Yeah, if you're if you're in a deep dynasty league – um, that would intrigue me too, because that's a lot of speed. And I think you pointed out what he had more walks than strikeouts. Yeah, that that would be my biggest thing about him. Uh, you know, anytime I see someone that you know is 18 or under, and they are walking more than they are striking out, um, you know, against any reasonable competition, that is something that that strikes me, you know, quite large. It's usually someone that's you know that age. That's usually their biggest weakness is their you know. They have poor plate discipline. Um, you know, they don't have a good knowledge of the strike zone. So someone who's, you know, walking twice as much as they're striking out, you know, without, you know, without seeing a live, it, it could be really passive hitter, um, you know, facing not such good pitching and just taking the walks. But I, I you know, that's something that, you know, I really look for. Yeah, I mean, he's so two years in the DSL. I would assume that we'll see him come come to the United States this year and get a maybe get some game action in the GCL. But that's, I mean, that's kind of one of the things that's interesting about, like you said, doing it from a fantasy perspective. There are these names that might not necessarily pop out otherwise. That you go, hey, this guy's doing some interesting things. Sometimes it means something. Sometimes it doesn't. But I do find that that with guys like this, guys in the DSL, where there's not a whole lot of scouting, um, at least, you know, not publicly available scouting, in uh, guys who don't have to get the giant international bonuses. Sometimes these little outlier stats can actually uh, uh, alert you to, to good players before there's a whole lot of noise. I remember where it's about 12 years ago now, maybe more where uh, I was, I, I was just looking at stats, stats back then, and two kids struck uh, stuck out to me in the Venezuelan summer league. It was Avisiel Garcia and boy, what was Fernando Perez? Was it Perez? Fernando Martinez? That sounds about right. I think it was he Martinez. Was thir- I think it was Martinez. Baseman, yeah. They ended up uh, 
trading to Seattle in in one of their deals. Oh yeah, wasn't he part of the um, wasn't he part of the uh, Max or the Caper uh, Casper Wells deal? I, I think so. I mean, they, they had like three deals with Seattle or the Doug Fister one. I, yeah, Doug Fister. Per, there was or, the Doug Fister trade, and I think he may have been the key part of that. But there was also the Jared Washburn trade. I forgot who was involved in that. Oh yeah, I, he might have been part of that too. Actually, I'm not. I think about it. Yeah, and remember Luke French, and there was a Robles. Yeah. Uh, but in any event, yeah, those guys. I looked at them. They were 16. They were hitting well. They were doing a little bit of everything. It's like, all right, these are guys. Uh, and maybe back then people knew, like the scouts knew. Okay, these are some talented guys. But if you're if you're not uh, privy to that sort of information, sometimes the stats will tell you some things. So I kind of I uh, I kind of we didn't have Chacon in our top fifty, but it's interesting. It's he's definitely an interesting name to know. Yeah, I mean, with him, I guess like like I said, for for me, I mean, everyone's got their own thing that they look for, um, and play discipline at that age. Is something that I think could, you know, set him ahead of, you know, others. Uh, it's tough. There's not a lot of information on him, like you know, like we're talking about. Um, but you know, someone who you hear nothing but, you know, seventy grade as far as speed is concerned. You know, that kind of plate discipline. Yeah, I mean, it might be a little bit of an aggressive ranking, um, but I mean, I've seen him on other top thirty lists. So I don't feel like I'm out of line. Um, I mean, it, you know, it could be one of those diamond in the roughs that, you know, like, like you said, that's a stat that 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 stood out and that's what got my attention. Or, it, like I said, it could just be, you know, faces, you know, some pitching that's not so good and he's a passive hitter, so he's taking those walks. You know, I guess, I guess we'll find out. You know, that's a good thing about minor league baseball like that. We, you know, we, we're going to find out. No, absolutely, and like like I said, you know, somebody stealing that many bags—that's something that's definitely going to alert you. And and we talk a lot on this show, you know, uh, minor league stats aren't aren't the be all end all, but all things being equal, I'll take good stats over bad stats. You know, you look at uh, Winsel Perez, who was just in the DSL uh, last year, I guess two years ago now that we're in 2019, which is a disaster. Um, (laughs) He had he was another one of those guys who walked more than he struck out, and, and that. You know, if you're just looking at that, you go, hey, well, this is kind of interesting. And sure enough, you know, he's rocketed up the, the prospect charts this year. So I, I kind of, you know, I, I dig it. I dig that part of uh, of doing a list like this. Yeah, I mean, you know, go, going through other people's lists, you know, it's always interesting to see, you know, certain people that maybe, you know, you had considered, but, you know, made it high on someone else's list or vice versa. Um, and, you know, like I said, whenever you start talking about, the difference between someone who's looking at it from a dynasty lens and someone who's looking at it from a real life lens, you know, you can really get into, I wouldn't say arguments, but, you know, discussions about, you know, how did this person fall here? Why is this guy on your list? But why did you skip this guy? You know, so it's, it's always something fun to talk about whenever we've got nothing better to do, you know. <laughs> uh, another, well, and, oh, go ahead, Chris. No, go ahead, Roger. No, go ahead. Oh, the, the one other name that stuck out to me, and it's for the exact same reasons, I think, and it, and it makes sense for, to me, is, is Sergio Alcantara at 40. Mm-hmm. I, I tend to think that he is overrated on a lot of prospect lists uh, as it is, where you see him, you'll see him come in the top 20, sometimes top 15. Um, you know, he's one of the three guys they got uh, from Arizona for, for J.D. Martinez, for people who don't yeah. know. Um, but, he, you know, he, he stands out only for his glove, mostly. And what good does that do you in fantasy? Like, right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And I mean, so yeah, that, that's another example of, 
real life over fantasy. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it, it gets difficult, you know, um, like I said, I, yes, I've seen him higher, um, another list for, for me, I think that, you know, in the pecking order of, you know, middle infield prospects that, that the Tigers have acquired, i you know, probably just for the bat alone, I would personally, well, obviously I put him lower than, mm-hmm. you know, the, the other guys, the Castros and the Prezes and the, you know, Paredes yeah. and all these other guys. And there's another guy, too, that you had number 15 at Elvin Rodriguez, who we got to see a little bit in West Michigan last year. Uh, well, was spending a lot of time in West Michigan last year. His strikeout numbers, his strikeout numbers pop out a little bit in terms of he had his walks, his control is where you stand out. There's 113 innings pitched, just 32 walks, which is impressive. And this year, you look at probably he's going to start the season. I, Chris, is he going to start the season? You guys, you guys think he's going to start the season in Lakeland pretty much, right, in the rotation? I, yeah, I would I would be shocked if he doesn't start in Lakeland. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't he did see last year. rushing him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so with that being said, though, with, with Elvin Rodriguez, I, I, this, to me, I think is an arm that, based off, I think, the, the winning the deal from the Angels, if you want to, whatever that, that flag is worth. Um, but this is an intriguing prospect. To me, I think that in terms of for fantasy wise, this guy could be a low end four for fifth starter the way it's panning out right now. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, uh, he offers kind of a really interesting mix of current ability and potential physical growth. Now, when we saw him, I was kind of alarmed at how small he was. Uh, now, sometimes that doesn't mean much of anything. You see right. super skinny guys, uh, frail guys who's you know, throwing 98, like you know Chris Sale or something like that. But I was a little skeptical about the physical development. But again, what is he, 19, 20? Yeah, he's 20, he's going 20 yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, like he said, he knows how to pitch, which is impressive at this level. He, he'll really uh-huh. he'll, uh, he'll elevate the fastball and come back with his curve, which is his best pitch. And minor league hitters couldn't do anything with that. It's kind of that that two pitch mix that you see at the big league a lot right now. And he was he was using it to good effect down there. And I think that is it's it's a good name to highlight because uh, if he does, you know, continue to grow, like you said, that's that's a potential, you know, fourth starter in the, in the major league level. And you know how many how many of those guys are really in the system? You know, even even with with the depth of the pitching prospects the Tigers have, a lot of these guys are kind of you know have some pretty serious relief risk. So, I like pushing Elvin up. Yeah, I mean with with Rodriguez, I mean he he's got the things that that I personally look for, um, it, you know, at, at that age, and and those things are you know good strikeout numbers, um, especially when you can you know pair good strikeout numbers with with good walk numbers. You know, one or the other. You know. The guy doesn't walk many guys, but he's not striking many out. You know, no big deal to me. He's striking a ton of guys out, but walking a ton of guys, I don't like that. But, you know, the combination of high strikeouts, low walks, but then, you know, you couple that with just, I think he's got a really good mound presence. He's just, when he's on the mound, mm-hmm. he just he just shows, I, I just see a confidence in him that I dislike. So, I, like I said, that's where, you know, that's beyond the stat sheet to me. You know, that that's getting eyes on a guy. And just seeing something in him that that I like, um, so you know, to be able to match that up with the numbers, you know, pro- probably I, I don't know. If, I, I feel like the fifteen is is a reasonable number for him, but I know it's probably higher than than others have him. But those are my reasons. No, and, and no. The, the, I think they're good, especially his curveball, Chris. You were talking about his curveball. So I was I was gonna say, when you were talking about his, like you watch the video on his 
just the, the break on it. And, and we saw that last year. You're right, Chris. No one could hit it. But to have that kind of the three, you know, he's, I think, does he have a changeup too, right, Chris? Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a third pitch. Uh, yeah. And, okay. and, uh, but, you know, David, it was a really good point uh, about his mound presence. He's kind of got a little bit of cockiness out there. Like one of those guys, like I mentioned before, he'll elevate the fastball and he'll let you know about it like after he's done and you swung and missed. Not like he's not going to yell at you, but it's like one of those little <laughs> flourishes with his arm and stuff like that. You know, it's it's a, a nice confidence that you like to see. Uh, yeah, and, and, and as to, you know, we've been talking a lot about like, hey, well, this is where some guys ranked here. And this is where other guys rank them. Uh, what I always point out, like, what's the point of doing these lists if you're just going to rank them the way everybody else does? I think it's good to have differing opinions and, and different perspectives. So. And, and you know, if Elvin uh, Rodriguez works, then boom, you were you were his champion. <laughs> and, and, uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's cool that way. And I, one thing I was going to ask you, because um, you're you're based out of the Lansing area, correct? Mm-hmm. Do you uh, do you often get a chance to get out to like uh, out to West Michigan, or just go to to Lan- the Lugnut Stadium and watch some Whitecaps or anything like that? Um, I mean, I've definitely gone to some lug nuts games. Um, it, it didn't work out this last year um, with, you know, my my schedule to to be able to go catch any Whitecaps games. Uh, mm-hmm. But but now that you know, I'm I'm rolling with Prospects 1500, uh, and I'm you know kind of getting my my foot in the door with this Prospects stuff now. Uh, yeah, I definitely plan on heading up to Grand Rapids, um, getting some games in. Uh, hopefully, make some time to get over to Toledo. Um, definitely watch uh, as many games on uh, the MLB, you know, the major league or the minor league uh, app as well. Um, so, so no, not something that I that I that I did with you know a, a great amount of effort in the past necessarily. But uh, now that I'm you know getting more and more into it, there's more guys that I that I want to see. Um, it's mostly over the last you know year or two. It's been waiting to see specific guys come to Lansing so I could, you know, see them. Yeah. Um, went to the All-Star game there last year. Um, hey, so did I. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah, I was really excited to see Karloff there. Um, and he blew my expectations away. I was excited to see Royce Lewis there. Um, again, same thing, blew, blew my expectations away. I actually left that All-Star game going for an all-out effort to try to trade in my Dynasty League. For Alex Kirilov, but I, I did not succeed. But after watching him play, I was like, I got to get this guy before he blows up, and and that's exactly what he's done. Yeah, that was that was uh, that was my first time at uh, there at the Lansing Stadium, and that was a, a very cool experience. But that was kind of striking about those two guys; they stood out pretty easily above everybody else. You're like, wow, the, the Twins have something here with these two dudes. So yeah, same with uh, Hernandez in the home run derby. He he won the home run derby there. Um, yeah, was, was, is he? Uh, he's the, the the Rays catcher, right? Yep, or, yep. And I was familiar with him, but you know, not not so much. So um, after he hit in the first round, I was on my phone doing a little more research on Google just to go, who in the heck is this guy? You know, was, like, yeah, I'm trying to remember. It was because there were there was was there Hendrick Clementina was in there too, and I think he's a, a Reds prospect. I remember there were two two guys. One of them was just peppering the the scoreboard in left field. Uh, Hernandez was, I think, um, Benson. Was yeah, Benson was the, um, the finals. Benson was a lefty, so it was one of those right-handed hitters. But yeah, yeah, it was an impressive. Yeah, it was. It was. I admit I didn't really heard of him, so I was like, "Well, all right, this is time yeah. to look into this guy for sure." Yeah, there's. Uh, yeah, maybe we'll have you out there for the. If you have the time, hopefully we'll have you out for the mega podcast if that happens again for a second year in a row. We uh, last year we had a. Uh, 
had hook slide. We had uh, Jordan and uh, uh, wow, Eric Wayne from Podcast Young. So just a bunch of people meeting up, talking Tigers uh, prospects. Yeah, there Emily when, came and talked yeah. to us. We talked to a couple. Uh, Max Green, who's on your list? Yeah, we talked to Max Green. Yeah, was your fifty prospect? We actually talked to him. He was a really fun kid to talk to. Yeah, yeah, that that kid was hard to put on my list. Like I said, as a Michigan fan, putting a guy with the last name Green on my list took a little <laughs> bit of fortitude, but well, but I, I, yeah. I managed. Um, it's hard to find players named Blue. <laughs> yeah, there right. That, there was that Georgia safety named Greg Blue a couple years ago. And there's the only one I can think of. I could have yeah. maybe just made one up and seen if anybody caught on to it. Yeah, there's the uh, <laughs> former. Well, that's uh, always a good thing when you're doing prospect writing. American yeah. League, uh, American League Cy Young Award winner Vita Blue. I think seventy one. Vita Blue, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah seventy one. I think it was seventy one. I can't remember what year it was, but no, between seventy and seventy. Casey Mays. There you go. Oh, there you go. Oh, there you go. So I might, I might steal that. <laughs> um, I, I, there's, there's a guy who I do. Uh, there's another one I wanted to ask, and I'm, I'm kind of glad that you put him at this part right here, number eighteen, and Brian Garcia. And Brian Garcia, yeah. was really going through the system, pretty breezing through pretty well. And then he had a Tommy John, and I think this is an appropriate place. I mean, I know they're like, and Chris, I'm not sure if you struggle with this too, in terms of where you put him on your list, but. But Dave, in terms of his numbers, his numbers were staggering, and I, I thought he was more of a reliever, completely ready to be called versus somebody like Zach Houston, which is number nineteen. So, was that splitting hairs right there between those two? Because I think Garcia, even before his injury, was pretty much if he didn't get if he didn't have the injury, he would probably have been called up. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it's hard, you know, to to put straight up relievers on the list as well because. You know, unless they're closing, you know, they're they're at least immediate real life value um, can can be diminished. But but you know, yeah, Garcia and Houston, you could flip flop those two all day long. Um, I I think that they both have, you know, the potential to be a very strong, you know, setup guy. So uh, I I think in my piece there, I I talk about you know the possibility of you know when the Tigers are hopefully ready to contend, you know, 2020, I could see that bullpen, you know, seven, eight, nine innings shaping up Garcia, Houston, Jimenez. Um, and, you know, we, we've seen in the past that, you know, if, if they can be, you know, the guys that that we hope that their upside, you know, gets them to be, you know, that kind of dominating bullpen, you know, can go a long way. Yeah, it seemed like for a long time that was uh, that all the Tigers had were these kind of, college relief uh, types, but yeah, I mean, I, I think I, that ranking makes sense to me. I think there's, even with Garcia's injury, he seemed more, had a, a better chance to be a legit closer than Houston. Yeah, and like you sure. said, you know, you, you'd be cautious with any relievers. You, they Just because they're mowing people down in the minors doesn't necessarily we're gonna mean they're going to do it in the majors. Look, look no further than Joe Jimenez, you know, his rookie year. I guess his first year, last year was technically his rookie year, but um, yeah, I, I think that ranking made sense to me. Uh, real quick, too, guys, does holds kind of count in these fantasy leagues as much as I mean? Because isn't holds kind of an important category? Or not really. Uh, I mean, there's well, a variety of leagues you can play in. Um, I mean, there's some leagues where you know holds as a category, saves as a separate category. So to some extent, um, you know, you can argue that well a hold is as valuable as a save. The difference is your, you know, your ratios on your closers should theoretically be better than your ratios on your holds guys. But a lot of people now are getting into leagues where they combine saves and holds. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a, a Brian Garcia and a Joe Jimenez 
technically could have similar value if the ratios are holding similar. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see how the fantasy uh, industry adjusts to uh, to the, the changing roles of pitchers, you know, openers and stuff like that. Um, I played around in my head a couple of times of coming up with new stats uh, just to, you know, to acknowledge the guys who go out there and get six outs or whatever, but don't get a hold or a save because it's the start of the game. But yeah, you know, we, we, in my league, uh, my long time keeper league, we went from like 12 teams to 16 teams a few years back. And so I added holds as a category just cause I thought we might need more players who are viable. Uh, but it's still basically nobody goes for them. They're just always out there on the wire. So, I don't know, it's interesting. I, I haven't, I haven't done a, I did a keeper league. I wanted back to back years, and the guy dissolved it. So I haven't played in a keeper league. One. This guy's a dick. You you ruined it for him. Yeah, exactly. And I was kind of I was kind of bummed out. I have to find one to play in. So, uh, but a lot of great stats here. You can go to prospects1500.com, and then go to the American League and click on the AL Central. You can find the Tigers list there. Uh, find some great all around uh, great content there. Uh, prospects1500.com. So even if you're a daily fantasy player. There is some value to that, too, as well. Um, some great articles you can find there. Uh, I'm trying to think of anything else I can um, – in terms of, like, pimp out there. They, they had a really good article, by the way. I did read um, – I read this last week on the um, – in terms of the, the salary dump that the Dodgers did. So that was a really good read to check out, too, um, if you're interested. Yeah, in I mean, it, it's you – know, I applaud you, Dave. It's, it's, it's a ton of work doing a top 50 list. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot of writing. A lot of research, and so that was, that was impressive. I'm, I'm curious, are there like what kind of updates are made during the season? Is there going to be like a mid-season list or anything like that? Are you going to be updating semi-regularly? I mean, for for me, my, my my personal list will probably, you know, get get moved around, you know, every couple weeks or so. Um, I mean, I've already I've already made a, you know adjustments to my personal list since the the list got published. Um, but yeah, there there will be a a midseason list that gets posted, um, and then other than that, you know, just throughout the season, I you know I'm gonna still be putting out articles. Um, obviously, it's not gonna be you know something like a top fifty, but you know maybe you know picking guys here and there that are you know killing it, getting killed, um, you know something interesting happening. Um, you know, maybe somebody will give me a bat and I'll write a story about him because they gave me a bat. So, um, <laughs> but who knows? We'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Maybe I can con someone to give me a bat for a story. Very cool. Yeah, that, that is very cool. So you can find uh, Dave Eddy at Corporal Eddie on Twitter. And uh, Dave, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure, guys. And we're back for the final segment here on Tigers SRD powered by SportsRadioDetroit.com and Overtime Media Network. And thanks again to David Eddy from Prospects1500.com joining us. That was, a, that was a good talk. We don't really That was our first guest ever, by the way, that we've talked uh, fantasy baseball on here for an extended period of time outside of Chris uh, grumbling about his dynasty leagues. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, like you said, it's, it's something that we don't necessarily get into very often just because it, it is a very specialized thing and uh, – you know, I, I play fantasy baseball. I have for years, but uh, you know, people who take it seriously really take it seriously. And and I'm not into giving people bad advice. I will I will have bad opinions all day long, but I'm not about to tell you to you know. I think I did tell people to draft Wander Franco, but yeah, beyond that, uh, yeah, I, I think it's an interesting way to look at uh, look at prospects too. 
like a, you know, numbers, minor league numbers can really get you in trouble at times. My my great examples are uh, of the past are, are James Skelton, the uh, uh, a guy I fell in love with. I think back in like 2005 uh, in the Tiger system because he was a catcher who walked more than he struck out and hit like 300. I think I have to look up at his stats, but turns out he wasn't really a catcher and couldn't really hit the ball hard and, and you know stuff you learn from uh, from uh, from scouting. But there are those times where guys who just produce in the minors, they get overlooked. You're Danny Woodrow's, if you will. Uh, guys who sometimes produce their ways up to the, their way up to the majors and, and outperform. So I, I think sometimes it helps to have a broad spectrum when you're looking at prospects. And, and I thought that was interesting, interesting perspective from Dave. Yeah, and, it, and especially adding some of the international talent that we haven't really talked about too, but uh... – we have some Twitter questions to get to, and also uh, there's a the the free agents that are, I mentioned this earlier in the first segment about uh, relievers that are still left in the market as part of the bad. But I wanted to address if the if you're the Tigers, and, and this is a kind of a scenario that Mark put out there in our Twitter uh, Twitter inboxes about and Brandon Day too about how would you spend twenty twenty five million wisely with that and, and make the Tigers competitive, make them over five hundred. I thought that was a really good question to kind of to end the podcast with, but let's go to our Twitter question because I'm, I'm I'm dying to know your answer to this. Oh well, so it was from NY and DET. Uh, I believe this is our old friend Abe in Southfield, but I'm not sure that that is correct. Yes, that is Abe in Southfield uh, because he's a he's he's a Mets fan, um, and he said, "I have a question. Who won the Cespedes former trade?" Uh, and this <laughs> is it's kind of funny to look to, because this is a very easy answer on both sides. Um, now, the simple question is the Mets won the trade because Cespedes got them to the World Series that year. They didn't win the World Series, but that trade accomplished what they wanted to. They needed a big bat. They went out, and he, he hit like a damn MVP for, was it, 57, 60 games, something like that, and they got to the World Series. Uh, that's all you can ask for. But uh, I don't think Tigers fans should fret because on a pure value standpoint, it's not even close. Now, uh, so I mentioned it so – Cespedes put up about two and a half war in those, uh, I believe it was 57 games for the Mets, which is kind of like a monster pace. You know, it's like on pace for like a seven win season. He was, he was just awesome. Uh, and he only cost him like three and a half million at the time. He was still on the, the final year of his deal, which I think was only 10 million, 10 and a half million, something like that. So that was great production in a short amount of time, a surplus value of about 16 and a half million dollars based on, you know, the calculations of, of war and, and dollar value. Uh, but Fulmer, has produced about, depending on if you're at Fangraphs or, or Baseball Reference, eight to ten WAR in his three seasons with the Tigers and made about 1.5 million dollars. So that's the surplus value of about 60 million dollars. So if you're just looking at that, it's a huge victory for the Tigers, and that's even before you consider that they also got Luis Sessa in the deal, who they then traded to the Yankees for Justin Wilson, who they then traded to the Cubs for Paredes and Candelario. So it, it worked out great for the Tigers, except. If you don't care about your owner getting great surplus value for players because the Tigers haven't won anything in the last three years and the Mets did have that one uh, fall of glory. So, uh, yeah, depending on what you care about, you could say both teams won the trade. Yeah, there you go. And, and, and the the interesting thing, too, about that, like the Luis Sessa trade, too, is that first, I mean, the Yankees did 
the Yankees were, you know, the, I thought that Sessa was going to turn out to be a, an ace in that rotation, but he's kind of fallen off the wayside a little bit. So, um, but either way, that's, and speaking of contract value, there was an interesting article in Deadspin um, that uh, talked about contracts. And Chris, I don't, we're not going to go into it too much because we could, we could definitely talk about this for a while. Um, and the, the name of the article on Deadspin is Baseball Doesn't Need Collusion to Turn Off the Hot Stove. And it's really talking about, and, and the guy who wrote the article, by the way, is a known is an and is an author who has uh, covered and uh, done sports economics for for different publications. He co-authored a, a book called "Field of Schemes: How the Great Stadium Swindle Turns Public Money into Private Profit," which is an amazing title and a book that I probably will pick up. Um, but just in terms of the frustration of baseball fans. And the quote that I wanted to kind of talk about, too, was what he says is, what we're seeing right now is a renegotiation of the terms of what is a ball player's worth. And that's understandably going to take some time to sort out. And in terms of that quote alone, um, it, 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 another thing, too, because, like, there's a couple things he pointed out, too, and this is I didn't know this, that MLB has ta- started talking about allowing teams to sell their own in- – Sell their own streaming rights revenue instead of sharing it all centrally, which that was that was one of the two things that stuck out to me or struck out to me really really uh, interesting. Yeah, because Chris, that's going to damage teams like Kansas City, your small market teams that rely on that, or even teams like Tampa. I mean, if you if you take that away, then the the richer teams like New York, Boston, L.A., the Cubs are going to get draw bigger a little bit in terms of resources for talent scouts you name it and then you leave teams like kansas city the the good the feel-good stories a little bit like that left in the dust so that's gonna i mean which would help it would help i guess in that and then he quoted the article re-incentivize spending on players since wins would start yeah i mean that was the kind of the opposite take i had the opposite uh reaction to that which was and it does kind of suck I mean, the, the point of revenue sharing, or whatever, is, is so the little guy doesn't get screwed. But as of now, it kind of disincentivizes the rich teams from, like, they don't care if people show up to games. They don't care if people watch the games because they're, no matter what they do, they could, you know, they get 45,000 people per game and they're not getting any more money than they would if they, you know, had 12,000 people per game. And, uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, there's a lot of – it's the cold, naked math of everything that, that is really kind of stark with, with that article. The other thing that stuck out to me was uh, pointing out that basically owners make more money. I mean, I guess it's not terribly surprising, but they make more money with uh, non-superstars rather than, you know, go and sign in a superstar and, and you're spending all this money per win. But it's only – I think he said so it's only basically $1.5 million per per win or something like that yeah. that they're making. So you're better off just having a bunch of no-name guys on, on minimum salaries who make much more money for you, even if you, you know, like I mentioned just now with Fulmer, he's only made a, a million and a half for the Tigers uh, and has provided $60 million worth of value. It's uh, It makes sense for the owners. It's just, uh, it's ugly. It's ugly for the, the free agents and it's ugly for fans who want to see the stars because they're not getting paid and, and, uh, yeah, I mean, we see even tangentially to this, we see the whole Kyler Murray thing playing out right now, which is kind of putting another spotlight on the the strange salary structure for baseball that's that's been around forever, where young players don't get anything. They don't get paid 
relatively, they don't get paid anything compared to veterans. Uh, and and the what the promise always was that hey these veterans once once you get uh, you know, six or seven years or whatever you're going to get a big payday, but now that's not happening either. So nobody's making any money, except for the owners. And uh, yeah, so Kyler Murray is holding out for that that major league deal. You put on the forty man roster because uh, he has a unique leverage that you don't normally see from a, a top ten pick, and it's it's really kind of interesting to see how that's uh, how it's going to play out. Yeah, especially, too, because, I mean, I'll get to Kyler Murray in a second, but the MLB is essentially setting themselves up like the NFL. The NFL is getting money no matter what, whether you show up to a stadium or not. The stadium, getting people to the stadium is an added bonus. I mean, Pete Rozelle was way ahead of his time and figured that out way back when. But the, the second part about Kyler Murray is, and I saw, and I got an argument with somebody on this on Twitter, which was, he hoped he got C- he quote can fuck off and hope he gets CTE, which is one of like just just asinine. First and foremost, don't root against. Yeah, there was there were some nasty nasty takes about this. Yeah, and I think it's ridiculous. First and foremost, and it's, uh, one of the so one one take was so nasty. Got a got a, a writer fired from an SB Nation site from the A's. Yeah, that that, that there's a lot going on there. There's yeah, I think uh, there's there's, some, there's a lot more mental to illness. Um, right. Yeah, but I mean you got to. There's a fundamental lack of empathy uh, among sports fans, always. That's you know how you end up taunting rivals and things like that. But uh, if, if if you were to put yourself in Kyler Murray's shoes, um, we know certain things. If you make it in baseball, at least the way it used to be, if you make it in baseball, you can make a lot more money than you can in football uh, right. for, for most positions. I think what was it? Jeff Samarja was in the same draft class as Calvin Johnson. Correct. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was. And, a, he was a, a receiver out of Notre Dame. Yeah, and I think Samarja has made something like a hundred and fifty, hundred and sixty million dollars in his career. As a, he had what two or three good years. Yeah, he's um, a sub he, four, sort of like four a five middling mid rotation yeah. starter. Yeah. Uh, whereas Calvin Johnson was one of the most uh, impressive physical specimens, one of the best wide receivers in NFL history, and, and I think he made less than Jeff Samarja. If in that situation. Uh, it made more sense to go to baseball, even uh, though I think it's probably harder to to be that good in baseball. It's completely different with Kyler Murray, though, because he's a quarterback. And if you get drafted early enough, you get a huge bonus, mu- something much higher than you could ever get in, in baseball now. It, uh, you know, I don't, I don't really know what the bonuses are these days. It's not ridiculous like it used to be. Uh, Back when, like you know, Matt Stafford and Sam Bradford, or whatever, were getting like sixty-five million dollar deals as a rookie, but you're still getting a much bigger bonus. And, and you do worry about uh, about you know uh, getting hurt or not working out in the NFL and not getting that second contract. Yeah. But if you're a second, if you're a first round quarterback, you're getting a hell of a lot more than like the four million dollars that that four and a half or whatever that he was getting from the A's as the ninth pick. And I think. When you take another risk, Murray was a risky ass pick. Even if you don't take into account that he played football and might go to the NFL, he was a basically a one year performer at Oklahoma with obviously monster athletic tools, uh, but not much track record and and some you know strikeout questions and stuff like that. So it, it uh, I don't know if I'm him and I think I'm going in the first round. I'm going to the NFL, no doubt about it. Yeah, and it, it, you know what's interesting too. Remember that you you and I were watching the draft that night because we did a we did a live draft special, and when the A's announced that pick, we were like, "Huh, oh, that's interesting." And I remember your reaction too because you were totally caught off guard by that. 
Yeah, I mean, most of the Mott drafts I had seen in, in the discussion uh, was had him at the earliest, like a supplemental round pick, one of those teams that had extra picks like Cleveland or whatever that could might be able to take a chance on a guy and, and play around with some money. Um, and But apparently the rumors had started going around earlier that day. I'm just not in the right circles. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's a fascinating uh, case. And, and like I said, bringing it all the way back, it's the fact that baseball is probably going to lose him to football is, is essentially entirely based on the way that, that their bonus structure is and, and how they pay uh, their young minor leaguers and, and their you know, draft picks. It's even, you know, I, I mean, was it Casey Mize got seven and a half million dollars or something like that? That's uh, that's a lot of money. But as we always talk about, if those guys were available on the open market, he'd probably be getting sixteen, eighteen million dollars in like five year deal, something like that. Um, no, maybe not anymore. When in the days of or the age of not spending any money, but but this this is definitely a these, these guys aren't getting paid what they're worth. Uh, on on an open market, and it's uh, I don't know. Baseball is losing a potential, a dynamic talent because of that. Yeah, and he's not the first. He won't be the last. Yeah, and and, and it's just it, and the thing is like that. That also brought up the Deion Sanders. The reason why they brought up Deion Sanders, who happened to be the one of the last players with baseball and football, and the Sean the the comments that Sean McDonald is saying that Deion Sanders he got a lot of shit too. I mean, they're calling him selfish. Oh and it was, and that that shit pisses me off too because it's just like this. And I never understood the 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 vigor and anger towards Deion Sanders doing that, and that he was like he didn't wasn't a good teammate and blah blah blah. Well, I understood part of it. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. Not, not that I not that I felt it, but I right. knew part of what was going on there. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Wink, wink, nudge. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, unfortunately, and this is America, so there it is. Uh, but. Yeah, I remember. I'm trying to remember who was it that uh, was it Tim McCarver? Yeah, Tim McCarver. Yeah, Tim McCarver like, and, you know, Sean, and yeah, Sean McDonough said some. Yeah, yeah, and, and like he, he Dion snubbed them or like, and they're like, "That's real mature." Like it was a weird. Oh, he he splat. Um, no, he took the when the Braves won, he took the um, like ice and he threw mm-hmm, it at Tim McCarver. Dumped it. Yeah, he dumped that on yeah. Tim McCarver, which is awesome, by the way. <laughs> well, they say not to get too sidetracked, but apparently the the whole tradition of dumping Gatorade on coaches was started by, I think, a New York Giants player who was just tired of Bill Parcells' shit. And, and they won the Super Bowl, and he he was like, I'm going to dump this on him because I don't like him. And uh, Parcells kind of smiled and laughed it off, and that's how a tradition started. So, you know, could have happened in baseball, too. It could have been the tradition was uh, you throw ice at the announcers. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, didn't quite work out like that because, uh, you know, Stuffiness. By the way, I mean, and this is a stat that I saw on Twitter too. He's the only guy who ever played an NFL game and a World Series game in the same day. I mean, that, that's pretty impressive. I mean, and Sean McDonough. Here's what exactly he said. He said he was only playing two sports for personal glory in his shoe contract. So, and there's a documentary that ESPN's coming out with. So, but either way, I, the, the the amount of crap he, that Kyler Murray get in hoping he gets CTE. Fuck you, honestly. Fuck off if you're gonna say that kind of shit. That really, that really irks me. And I, and I know it seems like I'm, I'm mad about a lot of that tonight. There, you know, Roger got so much anger, but there's just been a lot of stupid hot takes this week that's just made me angry. So this is this is, this is what happens when there aren't 
free agent signings to talk about. Yes. We begin to eat ourselves. Yes. No, you're right. <laughs> Literally, I mean, I am fasting right now, and I've lost 20 pounds, which is – I am eating myself, true. But you're right. There is this uh, – right now, there's not a lot of activity going on baseball-wise, and the NFL is coming to a conclusion – or the NFL is about to come to a conclusion this weekend uh, soon enough. So yeah. – uh, uh, I just want to say there was one – some of the, the, the stories that are coming out about uh, Bryce Harper and, and – Many of each other right now are kind of hilarious. There was, I think, Bob Nightingale mm-hmm. said that there. He said, "There's a good chance that Manny Machado or Bryce Harper or both will be in the Phillies uniform on opening day." <laughs> it was like, "Oh yeah, way to get real specific there, guy." Yeah, or uh, quick, just, yeah. <laughs> just go ahead and add or not at the end, and we'll have covered everything. <laughs> and, uh, didn't they have Craig Kimball and that list? Do that all three would be signed with Philly? Uh, and I didn't see that, but that I mean, if you're gonna go crazy, you might as well go crazy. Go crazy, folks. I mean, I, um, I, it was it was it the USA Today was prodding them like cattle prodding them, like all right, write something. Well, there's nothing to write. Write something. I don't care. Yeah, Do I it. Mean, Bob Nightingale is so wrong so often that uh, it wouldn't shock me if both those dudes sign with like the White Sox tomorrow. But uh, <sighs> yeah, I don't. Know. Yeah. Anyway, there's... yeah, you were wrapping it up, and I interrupted. So. No, 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 it's okay. It's okay. No, you're right, Bob Nightingale. Uh, thanks to, I was, I was going to say, thanks to you, I think Paul Wesner, I have to contribute this to as well, and Mark for kind of like, and I know a lot of the writers have been bad, and, and you know, some of the writers are, are just not good on a national scene, they seem like that, uh, they've been passed by, John Heyman's also at the point where I've, I stopped following John Heyman too, because he's just, he uses small caps for everything, which I don't understand, um, at all, like it's just, it's just like, are you trying to piss people off the way you type that? But anyways, I digress. That's a, that's a. That, all right, no more, no more anger. After this, is be positive. We'll uh, think positive. But like I said, I've seen yeah, a lot maybe. of. Huh. Go ahead. Maybe, maybe there'll be some signings by next uh, next week. Yes. If not, we have a really good guest, and I'm not going to worry about that. And then, uh, actually, you know what, Chris, we could probably do one of our. Uh, 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 if there's not a lot of signings this, we could probably go video games. We could do that video game thing we've been talking about too and we are rolling out a new segment this year um we're going to start on opening day and we're going to i have the book bless you boys by sparky anderson the the entire day by day of the 1984 world series and we're going to and one segment it's gonna be it's only gonna be five minutes we're gonna talk about what happened that day in 1984 so for you tiger fans out there you mentioned uh, yeah i was like hey it's 25th anniversary you're like "Uh, no 35th i'm like good lord (laughs) <laughs> but, but it's interesting because 35 is a pretty significant number uh, for that Tigers team. So yeah. I think it makes sense. Definitely. So we'll, we'll be definitely doing that. That'll start up at the beginning of the season. So I have that in my notes to make sure. So we're out of time. Thank you so much for listening to Tigers SRD on the Overtime Media Network, powered by SportsRadioDetroit.com. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Titular, you name it. Share it. Let people know that you dig it. Give us some reviews. We really appreciate the reviews. Uh, if you can leave us a review, we would, again, we'll probably put you on a drawing for a fitted cap or what have you. And we'll be back next week. We'll be naming our guests probably shortly once everything's confirmed on our end. And, uh, oh, congratulations to Ashley McClellan, uh, bless you boys, who's starting her own video blog. She's looking for fundraising help. So, uh, follow her on Twitter at, uh, 90 feet from home. Is that right? Is that right, Chris? Uh, yep. That's, yeah, right, that's right. 90 feet from home. Um, follow, give her a follow and donate a dollar to help her with her cause. And uh, she's been, you know, like I said, everybody over there, bless you boys. We really appreciate their uh, helping us tweet, get the word out. We appreciate that. So, 
uh, for that. We'll see you next time.